Welcome to the Bethany Community Church Sermon Podcast. This ministry is intended to inspire you and help bring solutions to the challenges of life. Today's message is titled, Having Meaning Without Marriage, and it is part of the Meaning of Marriage Sermon Series. For more information about other ministries here at Bethany Community Church, you can visit us at our website at bccma.org, or you could always send us an email at office at bccma.org. And now, here's Pastor Brandy Lee Gaudet. <laughs> but this is my first time speaking on a Sunday morning, so I'm petrified, which you're not supposed to say in public speaking, but I'm just going to be honest with you guys, because I'm going to be honest the rest of the service with you. We always joke every year, they go away to the sermon planning retreat, and I always joke with Pastor Phil, and I joke with Pastor Shane about it, like, I'm on the schedule this year, right? And they're like, oh yeah. But this year they came back and I'm like, I'm on the schedule, right? And they're like, seriously? I'm like, no. <laughs> what am I going to preach about uh, in February? And I went, February? It's the marriage month. I'm single. What am I going to contribute to the marriage month? But believe it or not, I love marriage and I'm single. I love it. I love it so much that I went to school for it two times. And I really feel not, well, I got degrees in marriage and family counseling because I think Marriage is a very important part of our community. It is an extremely important part of our church. And today I'm going to talk a little bit about marriage, but I'm going to talk a little bit about singleness. So um, my whole life, I grew up in the church. Some of you don't know my story. Some of you do. But I grew up in the church, and I was about six years old when I started going to church. And my um, mom would drop us off long, long story, drop us off, I'd be part of the church community. So I grew up with this time in the 90s, and those of you who grew up in the church in the 90s, there was this big push about purity, which I think is a really important thing in our church, but there was this big push, you signed a card, you put your name on a pole, and you promised, and we learned about dating, and we learned some, in my church at least, I'm not saying it's everywhere, but I'm saying in my church when I grew up, we learned a lot of I would say, little unhealthy views of relationships and dating. And so in my 20s and 30s, I kind of had to relearn a little bit about relationships. So for all that time, I spent a lot of time in waiting, waiting for this moment to happen, waiting till I'm standing in a church and I look across the room and boom, there he is, the man that God promised me, the person who's going to fulfill me and make my life all joyful and meaningful and and birds are going to sing and we're going to ride off into the sunset. And then that's really where the story ended. In my mind, that's where the story ended. You got married and then you were a person. But until then, you weren't a person. And then I got spoken to all these times in my 20s and 30s about all the things that I was missing that made me not find that person. You're this. You're too loud. Never going to change. You're, you're too opinionated. It's gotten worse as I've gotten older. So, so all of these things in my life that, that I would never be the person I needed to be until I fixed those things and became married, which would make me a real person. And in the church I grew up in, that's the way we were spoken to. I was looked at like that, like, oh, poor Brandy. She's so sad. Someday you're going to get married and you're going to be a person. And I remember, it, it, you just heard it, like, you're going to go to Bible college and get married. You're going to find your husband. Go get your MRS degree, which was 
for those of you who don't know, you went to Bible college. If you were female during the time that I was growing up a long time ago, you went to Bible college to find a husband, which was one of the things you would marry a pastor and you would be this amazing pastor's wife, or you'd marry a missionary, and then you'd be a missionary's wife, and then all your life would be fulfilled. So I was like, all right, I'll go to Bible college. So I went to Bible college, and I came home my first year, and I remember standing in the church having a conversation with a woman in my church, and she said to me, so you're home? And I'm like, yeah, I'm home. And she goes, did you get a boyfriend? And I went, no. She said, you went to Bible college, and you didn't get a boyfriend? And I said, no, you know, I, I met some people, but, you know, I just found things wrong with them, and I decided <laughs> not to marry them. I was telling my dance girls this story the other day, quickly, it's a total sidebar. Um, I met this guy at Bible college, and I thought he was great, but he sang so bad. And I thought to myself, I can't stand next to that for the rest of my life in church on a Sunday morning. So, poor guy. Kicked to the curb. But when I, <laughs> she looked at me and she's like, so you went to Bible college and you came home and you didn't get married. What a waste. And I went, oh my gosh. And I just sat there like, and, I, and it penetrated my heart, and it was like, I am less than because I'm not married. I wasted this money. And I believed what she said to me, and I'm like, I'm an awful person. I went away to Bible college. The purpose, they, they helped me go to this school. They helped pay for this. And the purpose was for me to go and find a husband, when in truth, that really isn't the purpose of going away to Bible college. It's a perk if that's what God has for you. But for me, it wasn't, it wasn't my perk. And and I feel like, unfortunately, some, some kinds, sometimes in churches, we do this to single people. We make them feel like they're less than because they don't have a spouse. Their influence isn't as strong. That what they have to contribute to the church isn't as much as it would be if you were married. And I personally have never felt that here at BCC. I've never felt like... You guys think that I am uh, less than. because You actually give me more because, <laughs> because I have margin. So <laughs> we're going to talk about that a little bit more. But sometimes in church culture, we can say being married is normal and not being married is abnormal. That we, that's not how you should live your life. And in our church, we have a variety of singles. It's not just people who from their teens didn't get married. It's people who are divorced, it's people who are widowed, it's people who are single, single parents. And, and there's such a variety of singleness that you, you can't put it all into one category of saying this is a single person because we all are different people. So I love this little picture and it says, I've been single for so long, I have to say it's going well. Like it's working out, I think I'm the one. <laughs> and... <laughs> I really do think I'm the one, and it's really great. But one thing we need to learn um, through all of this is that I'm going to ramble everywhere. But it's really exciting because I'm funny, and you guys are going to like that about me. So, <laughs> so singleness is a gift. Singleness is a gift. And although people who are living in it do not feel like it's a gift, because 
I'm telling you, how I feel about singleness now is not how I felt about it when I was 20, when I was 30, when I was 40. I mean, I'm 44 right now. I can't believe I said that. This one's not being sent out to the world, so y'all keep that a secret to yourselves. But that's how old I am. And, And even in my, as all these years, I still struggle sometimes with it. But the lessons that God has taught me along my journey here have developed me to be the person I am today. So singleness really is a gift. We see in 1 Corinthians 7, 6 through 9, Paul says, I say this as a concession, not as a command, but I wish everyone were single just as I am. Yet each person has a special gift from God of one kind or another. So I say to those who aren't married and to the widows, it is better to stay unmarried just as I am. But if they can't control themselves, they should go ahead and marry. It's better to marry than to burn with lust. Ooh, scandalous. (laughs) Definitely not allowed to talk about that when I was younger. (laughs) Paul says he wishes that people would remain single as he is. Paul was single, Jesus was single, just following in the footsteps of the leaders before me who paved this way. And He's not saying that marriage is bad. Marriage is a beautiful and wonderful covenant between two people, but in the church world, we make people feel like they're broken or less than. So another funny story from my childhood. So pastor's not the only one who has really funny church stories. So this one time, I was a missionette, and for those of you who grew up in the Assemblies of God, missionettes, yeah, No? Okay. So missionettes is like Christian Girl Scouts. It's the best way that I can kind of make this tie between the two of them. So I was a missionette, and it was so great, and I learned everything I needed to learn to be a good wife and to be a good missionary's wife, to be a good pastor's wife, all those things you guys love that I sew, missionettes. Cook? I can't. But missionettes tried. They tried to teach me how to do these things. So... So I went to Missionettes, and we had this, like, women's tea, and I was earning a badge for something to do with probably hospitality. Can't remember for the life of me. Stayed awake last night trying to think of why, and I couldn't remember. But there was this mean mom, and so all of you have a group of friends. Some of your moms are really cool in that group of friends. Some of your moms are like, there's always that one scary mom. So I was in the kitchen alone with this one scary mom, and I was petrified. And so we were putting something in the microwave, and when I put it in the microwave, I took it out and this microwave dish, you know, the glass dish that was inside of it, fell out, shattered. And I'm like, oh my gosh, scary mom is here, and I broke a microwave dish. She sweeps it up and she goes, we're not going to talk about this. I'm not going to tell you her name because we said we would take it to the grave. So we scooped it up, put it away, and we moved on. And then all these women came into the kitchen and started talking, as women do when we're having these events. And so we're all in the kitchen talking, and I'm just, you know, minding my own business, keeping the secret that I broke the dish, hoping nobody notices when they put something in the microwave. And they start talking about this woman in the church. And they're like, poor woman. She's not married. She she has no kids. She has no prospects. This poor woman. She's so old. I think she was 15 years younger than me right now. I honestly think she might have been almost 30 when they were talking about this woman. I'm thinking to myself, that is never going to be me. 
<laughs> this poor woman has no, nothing in her life. I thought she was the most glamorous person ever when I was younger. She had shoulder pads because that was the time. And she always was like, she had this big hair and she was so fancy. And I thought she was great. And for me, in that conversation, my perspective of her changed. It changed from being this vibrant woman who I thought was amazing to being this poor Poor little sheep. Maybe if everyone brings their single friends to church, we can introduce her and she can meet someone and it'll be magical. And then her life will start. <laughs> and and it, was, it was heartbreaking for me in that moment. It changed my perspective of her. And then the older I got, I started thinking, I was like, I think I'm a lot older than that woman now. I would not want to be in that kitchen now having that conversation. But people getting married much later in life, things have changed in this world, Right? People are staying single much longer. In 2017, the U.S. Census reported that 110.6 million unmarried people were over the age of 18, and that's 45.2% of the American population. In the 1960s, 72% of adults were married. So the numbers have changed a lot over the years. I find it amazing that so many times in churches, not this one because I'm a great example of this, but churches won't hire single pastors, because they're really concerned about them and the choices they make in their lives. And they're concerned about what they're going to do. And Paul says, you know, it's better to be single, because when you're single, you have more time for God, you have more time for the kingdom of God, and all of these things. I'm paraphrasing that, but he's saying that it's better to be single. And the thing that a lot of churches will say about hiring a single pastor is they're concerned about sexual sin. And they're concerned about such things as lust. Well, you know what? I'm concerned about sexual sin in singles too. I'm also concerned about it in married people, right? So it's not for me, I believe that marriage is not always the solution for this. That if you're struggling with sexual sin, it's, it's marriage could help, but marriage isn't the solution because I think it's a condition of the heart. And your heart has to be reorientated around the things of God, right? You can agree with that. That's a great thing. And marriage it isn't the solution to the problem. Get your heart right with God. That's the solution. And, 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 don't, and don't get me wrong, singleness is a gift, and you need to hold it with godliness. You know, if you're a single person and you're struggling with things like this, you need to bring those, you need to get into an accountability relationship with someone. This is what the church is for. You need to be coming in a relationship with someone, and you need to get your heart right with God in this situation. Because if we look at Philippians 4, it says, 4, 8, brothers and sisters, whatever is true, Whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think on such things. A lack of self-awareness is a really big epidemic in this world. We need to stop and examine our own lives before we partner with someone else. Because we take this philosophy, we go, I'm single and I'm sick of being single. You're single and you're sick of being single. You know what we should do? We should just not be single together. And when you haven't dealt with who you are and the things that you're struggling with, and that person hasn't dealt with who you are and the things you're struggling with, and then you find yourself together, how's that going to work out? Broken people and broken people 
sometimes together don't make a whole. Can that other person in your relationship help you and build you up? Absolutely. That's what relationships are designed to do. But you have to look at that. And marriage, like most things, can solve the problems of loneliness, but marriage also reveals problems. Marriage idolatry, when in the words of Tim Keller from Counterfeit Gods, is when we make a good thing an ultimate thing. So we have to look at that. In Matthew 22, 36 through 39, it says, Teacher, which is the greatest commandment in the law? Jesus replied, Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. And the second is like this, love your neighbor as yourself. The most important commandment that God gave us is to love God. And the second, as equally important, is to love your neighbor as yourself. And you can only love your neighbor as yourself if you love yourself. If you don't learn to love yourself in your singleness, how can someone learn to love you in your marriage? We've skipped the process and put that love on someone else. You will never fill the empties in yourself with another person. God says, you love me, you love yourself, and then you love others. You will always search for, for fulfillment unless you realize this. Marriage doesn't improve your singleness, it exposes it. Spend time with God, spend time with yourself, and focus on others. You can't pour from an empty cup. If you're not filled, I love, I've been saying that saying a lot, you can't pour from an empty cup. You have to be filled yourself to be able to pour. And, you know, like I had mentioned, I went to school, I took all these marriage classes, I've read a million books on marriage, I know a lot about marriage, Pastor Phil says. I knew a lot about marriage before I got married, too. So, you know, just like parents know a lot about parenting before they get, become parents, and then all of a sudden the game changes because you're living in it. But I can look at it from like a text point stand, you know, where I can look at it and go, I can tell you how to fix that. <laughs> I love Gary Thomas. He writes a lot of books. He wrote um, the... Uh, um, he wrote a lot of books. <laughs> Just had like a skip, like a bump inside of my brain. He, the significant search, the significance in marriage. He, he talks, he has like books, you know, sometimes an author gets a really good book and then it be, they make like 18 other books based off of it and like boundaries. I love the book Boundaries. Now there's boundaries in marriage, there's boundaries in dating, there's boundaries in child rearing, there's boundaries in putting your shoes on in the morning. Like they just expand upon it. And I think it's great because they kind of put it towards people so they can understand um, different things. But Gary Thomas is really great. He makes this quote, which I love, and his marriage doesn't make you happy, it makes you holy. How many married people can, no? Okay. So <laughs> marriage doesn't make you happy, it makes you holy. The point of marriage is, is for holiness. And so marriage does make you happy. Married people, do you agree with me? There are moments in your marriage where you're super, super happy. So glad you chose this person to spend the rest of your life with, going to live with them forever. Carol and Sal love each other so much, so great, right? And then there's some moments in your marriage that you're like, if I have to look at this person one more time, I swear. I swear. 
<laughs> they don't put their socks in the hamper one more time. I figure that's the biggest problem in marriage because that's the thing that most people complain about. I think it's the straw that breaks the back, honestly, the sock situation, but that's just, that's just me. Marriage wasn't designed for you to find your fulfillment. Don't get me wrong, marriage is a fulfilling thing, but the main fulfillment in your life is not your spouse. That's Christ's job. Your spouse will never fill the emptiness in yourself. It's a lot of pressure to put on someone. People are flawed and will disappoint you. If your fulfillment is not in Christ, the wonderful blessing that he gives you, like a spouse, not just the spouse, but the wonderful blessings that he gives you in your life won't be enough. He can give you everything your heart's desired, but if you're not fulfilled in him, it's not going to be enough for you. There's going to be a constant longing because we were designed with this this peace in our heart to long for God and to find him and find relationship in him and find fullness in him. And when we don't achieve that, we don't find that. There's always this part in our heart that's missing. Think about the broken people in your life that are wandering around that don't know Christ and don't have a relationship with him. They're longing, they're looking for something. And that is Christ. Um, I talked a little bit about you know, my Bible college experience, but you might not know this about me. I'm a finishing school for women who are going to get married. Yeah, they live with me, and then they end up married. I don't know how it works, but I teach them a lot of things, and then they move on, and then they get married. The other day I counted, I've been in 15 weddings, 15 really bad dresses. I've been maid of honor in five of those weddings. I'm exhausted and broke. <laughs> and I love marriage. I love marriage. I don't really fully enjoy weddings. I love the part where the bride comes in and there's that covenant, that bond they make with one another that I'm going to love you no matter what, and you're going to love me no matter what, and Christ is going to be the center of our lives. I love that moment, the bad chicken, the dancing, all that stuff after that I could care less about. I love that moment, and then I love what happens the next day, and the day after that, and the day after that. The relationships that are built in form, that is like a, a show. And then what I love is the marriage and the relationships that come out of that. And so the ups and downs, the highs and lows of that. And I have good friends that were really good friends, and then they got into a relationship and then all of a sudden, they don't remember your name. You have those friends where you're like, you're my best friend. We're going to do everything together. I have a boyfriend. I have no idea who you are anymore. And, and, then, and then they get married because marriage was the marriage, the ceremony, the party was the idol in their life, not the relationship. So they got married and they realized this can be really lonely. I should probably have some friends around in my life. And then they come around, and all of a sudden, they're like, hey, what you doing, girl? What's up? Buy them chocolate. They might be your friend again. <laughs> but being single is great. It opens up your life a little bit. You have a little bit more margin. Although your life is a full life, I have a full life. I have a lot in my life. But there's a little extra space when you're not married. You're not in that relationship you have, you have margin in your life there. And in this time, God creates singleness for a purpose. He creates singleness for you to be able to find 
vision and purpose. If I wouldn't have had this margin in my life, I wouldn't be on the path that I'm on. I wouldn't be the person that I am today because the person I was when I was that 19-year-old in Bible college who disappointed her church by coming home single, not the same person I am today. God's given me gifts and purpose and vision that came out of this time of singleness. And it's amazing. God wants you to find who you are and who he designed you to be because there's purpose in this season. If you're a person who's single sitting in this sanctuary right now, you feel like you're in this season, and this season is the longest season. And you might be longing to be married. You might be fully content where you are. You might just be like me. I'm just here. If God sent someone through the door for me to marry, that's awesome. If you have friends, we should talk about it later after service. <laughs> I'm adorable and I'm funny, right? So, <laughs> so just because I'm single doesn't mean that's the path I've chosen for my whole life. That's the path I'm currently on. God might have plans down the road for me to be married, or God's plan for my life might be for me to be this person forever, which is also awesome and okay. Or God's plan might be for me to be married, which is also awesome and okay. So, so I'm really happy with whatever path God puts me on because I'm not the author of this. God is the author of my story. And I trust in him for everything he puts in front of my path. Puts in front of my path for a purpose, and there's a season for it. And I'm going to read a really long scripture verse for you guys right now. So, but I love it. It's one of my favorite ones. Ecclesiastes 3, 1 through 13. There is a time for everything and a season for every activity under the heavens. A time to be born and a time to die. A time to plant and a time to uproot. A time to kill and a time to heal. A time to tear down and a time to build. A time to weep and a time to laugh. A time to mourn and a time to dance. A time to scatter stones and a time to gather them. A time to embrace and a time to refrain from embracing. A time to search and a time to give up. A time to keep and a time to throw away. A time to tear and a time to mend. A time to be silent and a time to speak. A time to love and a time to hate. A time for war and a time for peace. What do workers gain from their toil? I've seen the broken God has laid on the human race. He has made everything beautiful in its time. He has also set eternity in the human heart. Yet no one can fathom what God has done from beginning to end. I know that there is nothing better for people than to be happy and to do good while they live, that each of them may eat and drink and find satisfaction in their toil. This is a gift from God. So all of that to say, no matter what season you're in, you're toiling, you're rejoicing, you're weeping. All of these seasons, it's time to rejoice because God is good in all of these seasons. When you're in the season of growing in God, learning who you are and your purpose, your focus should be on your race. Singleness. Your focus should be on your race. What you do is you get on the track and you start running. And you just keep your eyes forward. And you run. And you chase after God and the things of God and the kingdom of God. And you serve. And then, as you're running your race, you look next to you. And you see who's running with you. Who's keeping up with you? That person might be the person for you. Not somebody that you're taking and you're dragging behind you to keep going in your race. I have a perfect story of this. 
for some strange reason, last year I decided I wanted to run a half marathon. Awful, awful decision, awful decision. I don't know what I was thinking. I, I, I think it was the lore of Disney, because I love Disney. So Disney, here I am, running this race, running, 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 and my friend Carissa went with me, because she's the only person that I could con into coming and running a half marathon with me. So I said, Carissa, let's go do it. It's going to be great. We're going to wear princess dresses. She's like, no. And I said, but I'm going to run, and you're going to wear a princess dress. And she's like, all right, compromise. So the whole time leading up to it, she's like, I want to, I, I, I want to talk about our plan. I said, I don't want a plan. My plan is to start, and then run, and then stop. And when I'm done, done. If I'm across the finish line, or I'm at mile one, I'm done. And she's like, no, no, no. So the whole race, she dragged me. She was running backwards at some point, trying to get me to run forward. I made it nine miles. I did not train a lot. I can't believe I made it nine miles. And then I quit, because I was like, bye. And I, there was a bus. I got on it. I drove away. And she kept going. She's somebody who runs. She spent that whole time dragging me along with her. Don't spend your life dragging someone along with you. Get someone who's going to be excited and run the race with you. So that brings me to point two. I feel just like I'm preaching just like you, Pastor Phil. Spent my whole time on point one. It's okay. <laughs> I love it. I love it. It's a good thing because your, your point one has a lot of meat, right? And you just got to keep going on it. All right. So, so point two. This is a super important point. This is really, really an important point. It's okay to be single, but it's not okay to be alone. In Genesis 2.18, it says, The Lord God said, It is not good for man to be alone. I will make a helper suitable for him. It's not good for man to be alone. We need to look at what alone is. Having no one present, no help or participation from others, isolated and alone. Alone is not the same as single. Relationships are key. Not a romantic relationship, a family relationship. This is where married couples come into play for single people and vice versa. The church is a family. Families are weird, wonderful, messy, and massive. And, and that's the point of a church. This is how God designed them to be, so that no one would be alone. If you're a mar married person right now and you don't have a single person, that you're in friendship with, you should, really awesome people. You need them, and they need you. Being part, being my age, 90% of my friends are married. So I'm part of a lot of marriages. Married people, if you have a chance, you have a chance to create families for people who are single. Invite them to holidays, out to dinner, out for coffee. Have them become part of your tribe. We need to have stronger alliances between singles and families. Singles need to be marriage and family builders, and married people need to carve out time in their social life for single people. Everybody's always concerned about, oh, I'm gonna be, I'm gonna be that third wheel. I never feel like that third wheel when I'm hanging out with my married friends because I took that thought out of my mind. So I'm just gonna sit alone in my house wallowing in my singleness with my dog, not caring about anything or anyone because I'm going to feel awkward. 
can't live my life like that. And if you live your life like that, shame on you. You're missing life. You're missing friendships. You're missing relationships. I have a couple in this church that I, I live my life with, and they do this really well. I've trained them to do this really well. <laughs> Patrick and Julie Burke. They're really good friends of mine, and I love them. And they're kind and welcoming to me, and they invite me to be a single person in their life. They know me well, and they know how to love me. They know I'm not the kind of person who wants to be invited over for holidays. But they would have me at their house every single day of the week if I wanted to be there. But they know my life is busy, and they value that. They sit, they've taken themselves and put them in a front row seat in my life. First text I woke up to this morning was from Julie Burke cheering me on for today. So these are people who live on the front row of my life. They're my biggest cheerleaders. They guide me and correct me when I need it. They feed me, which is a wonderful thing. They know my life is busy and they honor it. And they invite me over all the time. When I make big choices in my life, they give me their thoughts. They pray with me about it. And singleness is so much easier with them. I always joke with Patrick that he should be more invested in finding a spouse for me because he's really finding his future best friend. So <laughs> it's really all on him. And I say that to him a lot. But the relationship isn't one-sided. They invite me to sit on the front row of their lives. They invite me to biggest, be their biggest cheerleaders, their biggest fans. When they're making decisions in their lives, when they're having struggles, they invite me to sit with them, talk with them about that, pray with them about that. And um, it makes me think back to the days before Annalise. All of you guys have seen Annalise, right? She, she's Patrick and Julie Burke's little girl. If you haven't seen her, she's adorable. She looks like a little porcelain doll. She's so cute. Well, a while ago, we had a woman's tea, which is something us old ladies do together. And we have these teas, and Sherry McCutcheon, in all of her wisdom, didn't probably realize what she was doing when she did this. She said to all the women, go into the store we had at the Blessing Barn when we had in Milford. Go into the store and find a teacup, coffee cup, that you feel represents you. Bring it into this room, put it on the table. And then she invited all the other women to go up, pick a cup that spoke to them, take that cup, and you were going to pray for that person. I think I got this cup over six years ago. And so this is Julie Burke's teacup. Didn't realize it was Julie Burke's teacup when I picked it up. But it's been in my office all these years. Every day I walk by it, I touch it, I pray for it. It accidentally got donated to the barn this week, and I went back and bought it. But <laughs> I gave the wrong box to Shana. So thank God it was there, because I really was, I was broken when I went into my office and I didn't see it. But this cup reminds me, it's, I'm one of those people, I like symbolic things. It reminds me to pray for Julie. And it reminds me of a really dark time in their lives when they were really disappointed about a promise that wasn't being fulfilled by God in the time that they wanted. Heartbreak and heartbreak, not being able to have a baby, which they really wanted to be able to do. And God saw them and blessed them with Annalise. And I remember one time, I remember when they came and they told me, I was in the BCC Kids, which is normally where you'll find me, and they came looking for us to talk to us about this great news that they had. Text messages, where are you? Where are you? Where are you? And I'm like, what is going on? And they walked through the door and they told us, we're pregnant. 
and they were pregnant with Annalise, and the joy that I got to, because I've been part of their lives. I've been in the sadness with them, and now I'm in the valley, and now I'm on the mountaintop with them, seeing a promise that God fulfilled. When you live together in community with one another, you get to have those moments, the time to mourn and the time to rejoice. You got to have that moment with them, and I love that, and I love my cup, and I look at it, and I pray for them. And this little girl must think I'm a creep because I just look at her all the time and I just look at her and I'm just like joy in my heart thinking about this little girl because, because we believed that God was faithful. We believed that God was going to give them the desires of their hearts. We need to be friends with one another. Healthy people have healthy marriages. Healthy marriages create healthy families. Healthy families create healthy churches, and healthy churches change the world for the kingdom of God. We need to get healthy as a people so our marriages can get healthy, and our relationships can be healthy, and then we can change the world. We're unstoppable, right? Sing I know. I see my clock. Singleness is good, and married life is good. Me talking about this doesn't mean that I covet singleness over marriage. You guys know I love marriage, and I love being single. And I'm not anti-marriage. If you over-desire marriage, you make an idol out of marriage. If you under-desire marriage, you're making an idol out of your singleness. We should be neither over-elated by getting married or overly disappointed by not being so because Christ is the only spouse that can truly fulfill us in God's family and the only family that will truly embrace and satisfy us. That's Tim Keller, and that's gospel. <laughs> maximize your singleness you can perfect what God puts in your hands you'll never get this time back this time in my life I'm never going to get it back I have to do everything I possibly can to build the kingdom of God because this is the time that God's given me and if I sit and I go this is so sad so many single people hate this sermon series I've talked to so many single people before they knew that I was going to talk about singleness, how much they hate coming to church in February because we always talk about marriages. It's true. We always talk about marriages in February because we need strong marriages in our church. This is what grows our church. This is what makes you better. As a single person, you're better if your marriages in your church are better. So there are many ways that you can be miserable in your singleness. You can focus on what you don't have. Are you coveting or are you content? Hebrews 13.5 says, Keep your lives free from the love of money and be content with what you have because God has said, Never will I leave you or forsake you. Do you compare yourself to others? I still do that all the time. Do you accept the status quo? In these moments, do you question who God is? Many, if not all, of the things that make you a good spouse or make you a bad spouse are the things that could make you a good single person or a bad single person. Contentment, gratitude, sensitivity to your calling, good interior storytelling, unselfishness, staying filled with the Spirit, finding and following your, court, your calling, and exploiting the advantages of one station in life. It's easy to fear in singleness. It really, it's easy to, to fear that 
God isn't enough. But God is enough. So I have this thing, because, you know, I already told you guys that I'm a person who likes symbols. And so I have, if you've been to my office, I have a lot of these. If you've been in my home, I've had a lot of these. And it really doesn't have just to do with my singleness. It has to do with my life. If things don't happen, is God still good? If you don't get this or that, is God still good? Is God good when you're waiting for years for something to happen? Is he good when your friends get married and have babies and you don't? Is he good when you don't have the answers to your question? I wrestle with this a lot in my life. I'm going to be honest with you. And this is why I have to have these symbols around. You know, in Daniel, this is the verse they put up the picture. If not, he is still good. So if things really work out how I imagine them to want to be working out, God is still good. But even if this whole world falls apart around you, God is still good. God is still God. And that's one of the things that I I do is I keep this thing around me to remind me that no matter what happens in my life, God is still good. You can wrestle with disappointment. It's okay. God wants you to bring that to him because he wants to talk to you about it. You can wrestle with longing. You can... You can be overwhelmed with joy and happiness. Regardless of what happens, God is still good. And that's what I have to say to myself, to, make, to remind myself in those sad moments, when I've been in 15 weddings, when I'm godparents to babies, and that's not my life. I go, you know what, God? You're still good. You see me, you know who I am. You're my fulfillment, not these things. You're my fulfillment. All of them can go away. You're still God in my life. You're still the person who orders my step and has a great and amazing plan for me. He has made me an amazing person. And and, and I'm going to tell you, I never used to be able to talk about myself like that. God did a big work in me. I'm adorable, and I know it. (laughs) Right? I'm funny, and I know it. I'm kind, I'm sensitive, and I'm loving. And these are all things that God has built inside of me through all the things that I've been through because he is still good. And that is where I find my adorableness and my joy and my humor and my strength is because I know that God is God in my singleness, God is God in my relationships, and God is God in marriage. Right? So I went a lot of different places today, and I shared a little bit of my heart with you, and, and, I, and I want you guys to know that I pray for every single person in this room. I pray for your relationships. I pray for your marriages. I pray for you as a person, because the stronger our church is, the more powerful we are for the kingdom of God. And so when I'm with your kids every day, I'm praying for your kids, because I want them to see that they are good, and no matter what happens, God is still God. Everything in their lives. So we're going to pray and close. I want to pray for you guys. I want to pray for your singleness. I want to pray for your marriages. Heavenly Father, thank you for your goodness in our lives. 
Thank you for everything you bring to us, God. We love you, God, and we seek your guidance in all of our things, God. Help fill us and find our fulfillment in you. Talk to us daily into our hearts, God. Help us grow closer and closer to you so that we can pour into our relationships, God. Help the marriages in our church. Make them stronger. Make them healthy, God. Make them seek out people in their church to be in relationship with, God. Help those single people who are who are in this brokenness moment, God, that they're feeling like they're less than, God. They are not less than because you make nothing less than. You did not design them to be less than, God. Show them how amazing, how valuable, and how wonderful they are, God. Remind them every day that you designed them for a purpose. Fill them with purpose, fill them with productivity, and fill them with other relationships, God, to help build them up. Help us become a tight community, God, that no one gets lost, no one gets forsaken, and everyone builds and grows together, God. We love you and we thank you. I always know wonderful things come out of this series every year, God. Marriages get restored and rebuilt. Relationships get restored and rebuilt, God. I believe great things for our church in the future. We love you and we thank you for all of these things. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. amen.